Hey, I want to welcome everyone. Uh, my name is Alan Bonnell, and I am so thrilled to be here. Uh, today, uh, we are one church in five locations. So I want to give a shout out as we stream back to uh, Emmanuel Richmond, Corbin, and Williamsburg. And over to Ashland, can we give it up to Ashland? Those guys making it happen. And I wanna welcome all of you that are watching online. It is better in person, the coffee is amazing, uh, but man, we are thankful for technology for when you can't be in person, you're sick, and you can still worship with us online. I still remember uh, when Daniel called me and told me that he was planning a church in Moorhead, Kentucky. I, I remember the passion in his voice. That mixed with the shock of what I was hearing, I had to pull over. <laughs> and I, I pulled in to a gas station in Clintwood, Virginia called The Orbit. And I said, now tell me that again. You see, Daniel and Leanne had just remodeled their home. Uh, they had just talked about purchasing some land to relocate a church. And they were going to Moorhead because God had placed them and called them to a special work. And you're a part of that work. It's amazing what God has done over these years. Now they have four hobbits, four kids, and other kids. And, and man, you guys have done some amazing things. It's like reading out the book of Acts. The number of people that have come to faith, uh, the number of lives that have been changed by the power of the gospel. Uh, every year, Better Life is one of the top five churches in the state. And baptism, one of the largest churches in our state. God is doing a work of grace here, and I am thrilled to be here. What an honor uh, to be able to be here. Uh, Daniel and the Bishop S, Leanne, Lucas are such good friends of ours, and I'm always encouraged to talk with them and to be here with you. And he told me to keep it simple, because I'm a simple guy. One question, who is this? Who is this Jesus person? Well, today I get the privilege of kicking off the new series entitled Holy Week, the week that changed the world. And so it will be uh, leading up to Easter, and we're gonna take a, a day each week to walk through the text. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter two, and we're gonna be looking at verses one through 11. And as you're turning there, just to kind of give us a little bit of a foreshadowing of what's happening here in the text, this is what's called the triumphal entry. It happens on what we've called for the last almost 2,000 years, Palm Sunday. You know, when, when they wave the palm branches. Anybody as a kid ever wave the palm branches in church? They would parade you in and, and you'd wave those. It was like the best Sunday of the year, right? You got to come into the sanctuary and they gave you this little palm branch and you waved it. You didn't really know what you were doing, but it's like it was active and it was fun. This is the day that I get to talk about. Palm Sunday, when Jesus comes riding in on that donkey and they're waving their palm branches. You know, there's only a few events in the ministry of Jesus that are recorded in all four gospels, and this is one of them. As we look at the last week of Jesus's life, it's helpful to understand that the gospel writers, and there's four of them, all the gospel writers, they focus on this last week. In fact, 34% of the gospels focus on the last week of the earthly ministry of Jesus. Why? Because it's important. Like we need to understand it. We need to wrap our minds around it and dive deep into the text and what God would have for us 
So let's begin reading in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her coat by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes into you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the coat and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Who is this is the title. Look to your neighbor and ask them the question, who is this? Who is this? Some of you are asking, who is this that is preaching and why isn't Daniel up here? But the focus in the passage, there's an uproar taking place in Jerusalem. And there's disciples, there's all these individuals that have seen miracles, and then there's a large group of people that don't know what's going on. And they ask the simple question that all of us would be asking, who is this? That is a great question. That is a question that we all must wrestle with. Who is Jesus? Is he prophet? Is he God as he declares himself? Is he some figment of our imagination? Was he a good teacher or is he just some kind of construct that we've come up with so we can deal with our reality? Who is this? Number one in your outline, if you're a note taker, write this down. Jesus is the eternal king. He tells them, go into the city and get a donkey. And, And there's a colt there and its mother is there as well and untie them and bring them to me. We read in one of the other gospels when they do this, the owner comes out and says, hey, what's going on? You know, you're jacking my mule here, you know? And, uh, and they said, the master told us. In other words, Jesus had already made plans. Matthew quotes from Zechariah. Zechariah was written in about 500 B.C., Jesus had been planning this for a long time, y'all. This wasn't something that just happened. For over 500 years, he said, this is how it's gonna happen. And guess what? In 500 BC, when Zechariah wrote this down, that's just when Jesus was disclosing that to Zechariah. This was always the plan. And so it went as Jesus had planned it. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies in his first coming. Why did he do that? To make it stupid proof for someone like me. (laughs) You know, it's like breadcrumbs that anybody could follow. All these 300 prophecies and Jesus fulfilled every one of them. All right, let's think about it like this. Like if I were to tell you, hey, I know a guy 
And uh, this guy always has a good haircut, always looks good, always is a funny guy. Some of you might think he's talking about Daniel, right? And some of you be like, no, he's not talking about Daniel. But then if I began to add to my prophetic utterance of who I'm speaking of, I said, well, he was, he was born in Belfry, played basketball at Belfry. He's married, he has four kids. And I began to roll out different facts about Daniel. At some point, everybody in the room would say, he's talking about Vinny, y'all. That's who he's talking about. So 300 prophecies taken from different vantage points, all pointing to Jesus. And he fulfilled all of them. Why? So we could answer the question, who is this? And now Matthew, and quoting Zechariah, is saying he will come riding in on a donkey. Why a donkey? Why one no one had ever ridden on? because kings would ride on donkeys, but only if it was one had never been ridden on. They would be bred for the purpose of the king and his family. It was like the the black limo of the day. I mean, it's what all the kings had and all the kings wanted was a, a donkey. And anytime you saw the king, he would be riding on a donkey. And so Jesus is declaring himself the Messiah King. We read in Numbers 19 and in 1 Samuel about the king riding on a donkey. In ancient Middle East, whenever a king went to war, what did he ride? He rode a horse. But when the king came in peace, he rode a donkey. So whatever the king came riding in on was a declaration of his purpose. Jesus comes riding in on a donkey because he's not coming to overthrow the Roman government. He's coming to bring peace to you and to me, to release the oppressor. Jesus is our liberator, coming to set us free, not from Roman occupation, not from the world in which we live, but from our own selves and the sin that enslaves us. Judges 5, Judges 10, Judges 12, all speak of riding in on a donkey, Second Samuel, but you don't know the second coming. What is Jesus riding? He's riding a horse. His first coming was to bring peace between us and God. His second coming, once and for all, to declare he is king and ruler of all and authority over this whole earth, that he will set up his dominion and and he will make war on those that oppose him. Now, for those of you in the room that are really kind of Bible scholars and you like to look at all the different facets of the story, as I said, this story is in all four gospels. And then the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and in John, they all record the story. But in Luke, Mark, and John, they only talk about one donkey. Only one's mentioned. There's two mentioned in Matthew's gospel. Well, some might point to this and say, well, that's a discrepancy. Is there something wrong with the text? No, no. Mark and Luke and John, they don't say there was only one. They just refer to one. Like, let's say Monday. I'm back at Corbin and Emmanuel. We're having our staff meeting. And I said, man, I had such a good time hanging out with Daniel this weekend. I loved being in his church. I loved praying with him and hanging out with him. Now, in saying that, am I saying Leanne wasn't there? No, no. 
I'm just focusing in on the person I spent the most time with, the focus of the story. Luke and Matthew's gospel, Matthew mentions both of them because the prophecy does. That there's two coats there, one the coat that had never been ridden on a donkey, and then also the mother of that coat, a mother of that donkey. So, all right, let's keep moving along. So to make him known as king, he comes riding in on this donkey. Now, the Bible says that it's a humble experience. Humble as compared to riding in on a stallion or a unicorn. I don't know. He could have come riding in on anything that he wanted to. But when the scriptures tell us that this was a humble thing, don't translate that into meaning that he was being meek and mild or that he was trying to go undercover. No, Jesus coming riding in on a donkey is like a neon light to everyone that is there, that he is the long-awaited Messiah, that he is king. Make no bones about it. In John's gospel, finally, he says, the time has come. The hour has come. And so Jesus, fulfilling the prophecy, no other place in the gospel is Jesus writing anything. Only here as he comes to Jerusalem the last week of his earthly ministry. Riding into Jerusalem on a donkey is a dangerous action unless, unless you are that for which the prophecy speaks of. And Jesus is that for which the prophecy speaks of. He is the king. He is the Messiah. And in response, what do they do? They throw their coats down on the road, declaring that he's king. In Luke's gospel, they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. In Mark's gospel, they shout, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. It was such an extravagant act to take off your cloak and throw it on the ground for this donkey and this entourage to walk over. I mean, after they did it, it wouldn't be good for anything. But it was symbolic of those that were there that they were declaring through their actions that they believed Jesus was the Messiah. In the Old Testament, there was a king, Ahab. He was a bad dude. His wife was even worse, Jezebel. And after a period of time, God says, okay, I'm done with this king. His reign is over. And he tells Elisha to go and... Uh, anoint Yahoo is king, Jehu, Jehu is king. And so he goes to Jehu and he anoints him as king. And when he does, his friends ask him, what did Elijah just do? And he says, he just anointed me king. And the Bible says that they threw their coats down and, and shouted, Jehu is king. So when the crowd comes and they throw their coats down, listen, there is no mistaken of identity. There is no misunderstanding of what the crowd is saying. In this moment, every Jew would have understood, pointing back to the Old Testament, they are saying that he is king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord he is king and therefore he has authority to rule our lives and authority to rule this world. Point number two, 
Jesus is the return of the glory of God. This journey begins in Bethany. Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem, and it picks up steam as they get to Jerusalem. Bethany's in elevation is actually a little higher than Jerusalem, about 300 feet. And so they make their way down from Bethany to Jerusalem. And the crowd is quoting a messianic psalm. The psalm here, as they are shouting, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord, is pointing back to the psalm, declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. They were preparing the way for Jesus. But they were thinking they were inaugurating a conquering king. But Jesus had a larger mission. It is so fascinating when you look in the Gospel of Mark. Each Gospel writer gives us more information on what Jesus did once he came into Jerusalem. Mark tells us he went to the temple and he looked around and he didn't see anyone. No one was there and so he left. He left the temple. See, Jesus wasn't going to Jerusalem, brothers and sisters. Jesus was going to the temple. His destination was not the streets of Jerusalem, but it was the temple that housed the holiest of holies. You see, Jesus is the return of the glory of God. Jesus, the conquering king, goes to the temple because his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. Jesus didn't go to the palace because that's not the throne that he was gonna sit on. In 586 BC, Ezekiel has a vision. And in this vision, Ezekiel sees the glory of God leave the temple go out the eastern gate, continue eastward to what location? You've guessed it, to Bethany, to the Mount of Olives. See, this is the reversal of that, right? We talked a little bit about that last week, about how God reverses things. In Ezekiel's day, the glory of God left the temple, the presence of God left the people of God, and there was 400 years of silence separating Malachi from Matthew. And Matthew's message is the glory of God has returned. It went from the temple out the eastern gate to Bethany. Jesus comes back and he starts in Bethany. He goes to the eastern gate and then he goes to the temple. The glory of God has come. He is not only king, but he is the king of glory. Jesus is the picture of the glory of God coming back to the temple. He is no ordinary king, but he is God in the flesh. Who is this? He is God. Jesus would be crucified just outside of Jerusalem. He rises from the dead and his disciples meet him where? The Mount of Olives, Bethany. And then he ascends into heaven. And guess what? It's gonna happen again. It's gonna happen again. When Jesus returns, he will come from the east and he will once again stand on the Mount of Olives, the glory of God. There are two crowds here in Matthew's gospel. There's a crowd that experienced the miracles of Jesus 
And there are those in Jerusalem that ask, who is this? Who do you say he is? In Genesis 49, verse 9, the Bible says, you are the lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion. He crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter which a king would hold will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nation shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his coat to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. See, God's left breadcrumbs out. So we, we could follow it. We, we could put this mystery together so clearly. Who is this? This is the Messiah. This is the eternal king. This is the lion of Judah. This is the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Who is this? He is the coming king. These praises would quickly turn to Christ to crucify in just a matter of days. Two final points of application. The first, God loves to employ his people in his kingdom work. The disciples went and the owner gave. The disciples went and they got the donkey. Jesus could have just made a donkey appear. And, Here, boy. You know, I, don't, I mean, there's so many different ways. But God chooses to use you, to employ you in his kingdom for his kingdom purposes. God has plans for you. Some of us need to go. Others of us need to give. The owner of these two donkeys gave willingly and freely. The second point is this, of application, don't miss the coming of God to you. Don't miss the coming of God to you. They missed it. They went from Hosanna in the highest to crucify him. C.S. Lewis famously says, you either believe Jesus is liar, lunatic, or Lord. He claimed to be God. So if you do not believe that, then you would have to surmise that Jesus was a liar, therefore immoral and not worthy to read about, not worthy to follow. Or it's such an outlandish idea, such an outlandish thought that you would say he's lunatic. Like he couldn't have been in his right mind. This dude needed medication, right? I mean. He, he needed to smoke those palm leaves instead of wave them, you know what I mean? I mean, he needed some help. He was either a liar, a lunatic, or who is he? He is Lord. He is King. He is the King of glory. Come in the flesh. His first coming was not to bring political peace. It was to bring personal peace peace in the midst of a world at war, at war against the culture of the kingdom of God. See, the Jews, they missed it because they were seeking liberation from an earthly tyrant. They wanted freedom from Rome. 
But Jesus was coming to bring them liberty from sin and death so we could be at peace with God through Jesus Christ and his atoning work on the cross. See, there is a greater oppressor than the world's worst tyrant. And that is sin. It's not the people around us. It is the traitor within that robs us of our joy and our satisfaction and our purpose in life. The greater oppressor on this earth is sin. He is the worst oppressor. He enslaves you. He robs you of God's purpose for your life. And the greatest oppression that you will ever experience in this life is separation from God. But Jesus came and he dealt with your oppressor. Once and for all, sin and death was dealt a fatal blow. Jesus came to bring peace to the oppressed. Do you know there are believers in North Korea that have more freedom than non-Christians in America? There are those that are in Kiev or Moscow, that are as free as any man or woman could ever be because they have been set free by the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, when I set you free, you are free indeed. So many of us are oppressed and enslaved by the approval of others, by chasing after the wind of of some type of success or dollar sign, enslaved by the thoughts of lust in our own minds. Maybe you have had it wrong too. Who is this? Who is this that we read about? Who is this that we sing songs to? The disciples miss it. John chapter 12 is clear of that. See, you You don't look to Jesus for an easy life or to not have any problems or for a happy life or to bring political peace. Jesus came to deal with your sin, which is your biggest problem. We come to worship and we wave palm branches and worship. Jesus going to give us a new car, keep us from getting sick. Or do we come to worship today thanking God that we are a sinner saved by grace. You know, in 70 AD, the Romans came and they cut down the trees at the Mount of Olives, these olive trees, because the oil in the trees were flammable and they, they drug them the two miles to Jerusalem. And where did they take them? Not to the palace, to the temple and they set them on fire and the heat was so hot. Historians tell us that the inlaid gold in the walls dripped down and went into the crevices of of the rocks and was later scooped out. Josephus tells us that they killed 1.1 million Jews and 97,000 were enslaved. They missed it. One day we will get Palm Sunday right. Revelation 7, 9 and 10 tells us, after this I looked 
And there before me was a great multitude no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We will once again stand before our conquering King and we will wave our palm branches and we will shout Hosanna in the highest heavens. Is he Lord or is he a liar or a lunatic? Who is this man and how will you respond to him today? Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. God has brought you here for this moment to watch online, to bring you to Ashland, here to Moorhead, to Williamsburg, that you might answer that question. An ultimate authenticity and a realness. Who is he? Will you respond as the psalmist in Psalm 24, nine? Listen to these words. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors. That door is the door of your heart and revelation when Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may enter. Who is he? This King of glory, the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. You need this peace in your life. You need the King of glory, God in the flesh who died on the cross for your sins and for mine's, my sins to, to once and for all, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And you must answer this question. So why not answer it today? That He is Lord by repenting of your sins and placing your faith in the risen Savior, you will be saved. All your sins atoned for. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is God, we shall be saved. I'm gonna ask everyone to close their eyes at all of our campuses, those watching online, would you just for a moment, what if right now it's you and you're looking at the story, you're in Jerusalem, the crowd, the throng is coming towards you. This man is on a donkey. They're throwing this red carpet out before him. They're shouting at the tops of their lungs, the King of David has come. In this moment, who do you say that he is? Will you declare him as Lord of your life today? And if that's you right now, I'm gonna ask you just to raise your hand in each of our locations, even online, express today you're giving your life to him today that you are saying that he is Lord and God. God, I thank you for these that have raised their hands. God, these that are trusting in you, declaring that you are Lord and God. God, I pray you meet them right where they're at. God, thank you for coming. And God, we long for your return. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.